And you'll notice in the bulletin, it looks like a long passage we're going to read. Uh, I have 46 uh, through 47 uh, verse 12, uh, but it's not going to be quite that long. You'll notice in chapter 46, there's a whole bunch of names. And uh, we're not going to read the names this morning, uh, mostly because I want to stick with the flow of the story. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to continue on with the story. The names, uh, some of them I'm hoping to come back to when we get a little further in Genesis. Genesis chapter 49, uh, if you notice uh, in 49, uh, Jacob is blessing all 12 of his sons. And we'll talk more about some of the names uh, when we look at that. However, uh, that may be a while. Uh, I was hoping to wrap uh, the end of Genesis around Easter, but, uh, but as the last couple of weeks have unfolded, I've, I feel led to do something else after Easter. And, and so we're, we're going to be frustratingly close to the end of Genesis. We'll have like two chapters to go before we get to Easter, but uh, I want to spend some time on those chapters, so we'll catch that down the road a little ways, uh, but that's our long-term plan. Uh, for this morning, uh, we'll look at chapter uh, 46 and into 47, and where we are at is Joseph is in Egypt. He'd been sold there by his brothers. He's had all his brothers there, uh, has tested them, if you will, uh, has finally revealed himself to them, uh, and then told uh, them to go get their father. Um, now, Jacob had thought Joseph was dead. Uh, that's what his sons had led him to believe when they sold him uh, to the traders going to Egypt. So uh, Jacob, or Israel, and he gets called both names in this passage, uh, but Jacob thought he was dead, but said, oh, he's alive, I, I will go and see him. And so that's where we'll pick up the story, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you where I'm going. I'll, we're going to read to verse 7, and then we'll jump forward, and and I'll try to let you know as, as we go along. But let me begin Genesis chapter 46 at verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. And now if you will jump ahead, we'll go to verse 26. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. 
he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were, with, or who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. <coughs> then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. The word of the Lord. It's always good to have uh, some, someone in the know you know, someone that knows uh, a little bit more than you do. Say you have a job interview, and you know someone that, that knows the person doing the interview or, or doing the interviewing, and, and they will tell you, uh, that person loves dogs. Somewhere in your interview, uh, tell a story about your dog. You know, they, they love dogs. I remember going to college. Uh, I knew nobody at the college I was going to, but my brother, one of his best friends, had a, had a friend that, that went there. And so before I went to register for classes, we called her and, and asked her, okay, what professors do I not take? Let me know which ones to avoid and, and which ones should I try to get in on the schedule. 
or maybe it's that person uh, who says, you know, go here and mention my name. Mention my name and, and you'll get a good deal. This actually worked for me in Charlotte one time. I, uh, there was an auto repair and it was going to be a, a pretty expensive repair and I called one of our friends and I said, well, here's what they're telling me and, and I still remember him on the phone saying, no, 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 no. He said, you take your car to this place and mention my name and you'll get it for a third of the price. And, and it worked. I, I mentioned his name, and, and my car was in and out for you know, a third of the price. And, and, but it's, it's great to have that person that's in the know. And when we look at Jacob and his sons here, they have a great insider to Pharaoh. They have someone who can tell them, here's what I need you to say, and here's how you're going to get uh, what you need from Pharaoh. But they're going to have to trust him because he does mention something that's a little bit odd in there, but they will have to trust him. First of all, Jacob, or Israel as he's called, uh, really has to decide to go and, and he needs God's help on this. We see this in the first seven verses of chapter 46. Now, he's in Beersheba which is the, the southwestern border, uh, for all practical purposes, of Canaan. And, so, and that's the direction they have to go out of Canaan to get to Egypt. And, and between Beersheba and Egypt is pretty much just a desert. You're almost at the point of no return here. Once you go beyond Beersheba, you're no longer in the promised land. You're in the desert on your way to Egypt. And, and it's a good place and a good time for a sacrifice. Uh, his father Isaac, who gets mentioned here, had built an altar in Beersheba. And that's back in Genesis uh, chapter 26. He had built an altar and worshipped there. He had dug a well. He had actually lived there uh, for a while. And that's, that's why he gets mentioned. It was the place of, of his father. And, and Jacob probably has some uh, second thoughts of going to Egypt. He said he would go, and he does want to see Joseph, but, but there are some good reasons why he might be thinking this through again, uh, his grandfather back in uh, chapter 12, Abraham went to Egypt because of a famine and that was a fiasco. That ended in, in a mess and it was Abraham's uh, doing for the most part, uh, but that didn't end well and didn't go well. And then Isaac, his father, uh, wanted to go to Egypt back in Genesis 26 during a famine and God told him not to go. And so he remembers that. And then there's also this thought, to leave Canaan is to leave the promised land. And without God telling him to go, this would almost appear as a sign of unbelief. God gave us this promised land, and now I'm leaving it. So God has to tell him, no, it's okay. I want you to go. And he reassures Jacob. You see, in, in verse 2, he, he starts by uh, that double name, Jacob. Jacob, and this is how he called uh, Abraham. It's how he'll call Moses with that same response, uh, here am I. And, and God tells him in verse 3, go and go there, for there is where I'm going to make you a great nation. And, and, he, and he makes these promises. He promises his presence. I I will be with you. 
I'm going with you, and, and that's where I'm going to make you a great nation. And I will bring you back. And there's kind of a double meaning in this, because Jacob will get back, but he's coming back to be buried. He won't get back there till after he's dead. But for the nation of Israel, they will come back. So there is a double meaning in that. But he said, I will bring you back. And he said, Joseph will close your eyes. And here's a promise of basically a peaceful death. You're not going to die some horrible death along the way. I'm not going to strike you down in some uh, terrible uh, way, but you will go there. You will see Joseph. You will die a peaceful death, and he will close your eyes. God makes him these promises. And so Jacob, he goes, and and we often hear that phrase, a, a stranger in a strange land. It gets mentioned in the New Testament as well. And and that's what Jacob now becomes. He's an alien uh, going to a a strange land, leaving the promised land behind. But if we see this positively, he's going to see Joseph and he's going to be able to eat. Remember, there is this famine in the land and he's going to get everything that he needs. And when we jump to verse 27, we see uh, a total of 70 persons. And and that number in the Hebrew uh, does signify totality. All of Israel, if you want to put it that way, is now going to Egypt. The entire nation of Israel, although there are only 70 right now, but they're all going to Egypt. And they get to Egypt. We see that in verse 28, uh, 28 through 30. And and, uh, you notice that Judah is leading the way. He continues to lead the way. He's the fourth oldest son, but because of things that have happened, he's the one that has a little respect. The the first three really blew it. Uh, So he's the one that uh, continues to lead the way now. And it's interesting because Remember, it was Judah's scheme that led to the separation of Joseph and Jacob. But now he is the one leading the way in the restoration of Joseph and Jacob. What a merciful God we have. And Judah is feeling that as now he leads the way in this restoration. And they stop in Goshen. And this is where Joseph wants them to stop. We see that in verse 29. Uh, and, and Joseph and, and Jacob, uh, they, they reunite. After uh, 22 plus years now, they reunite and uh, it says that they wept a good while. You notice that, a good while. You just get this image of, of here's this father who thought his son was dead, never going to see him again. And finally, after two plus decades, he sees him, he's alive. And they weep a good while. You can just imagine the embrace and they're talking with each other. The, the, the passage, it kind of goes abrupt as though Joseph just turns to his brothers. But I do want us just to remember it was a good while that, that they got to know each other again. After all this time, and Jacob basically says in verse 30, uh, now I can die a happy man. I've seen this son that I thought was dead. And and back when he first thought that in chapter 37, he said he would go down to Sheol in mourning. But now he said, now when I die, I will die happy. I have seen my son. 
And Joseph then after this time of, of reuniting with his father, uh, he turns uh, to his brothers and to the households and, and he gives them the, the insider advice now. Here's, here's what they're going to need to know, uh, starting at verse uh, 31. Joseph tells them, I, what I'm going to do is I will go to Pharaoh, I will introduce you as shepherds, and you have your livestock, and if we recall, they weren't really even supposed to bring their livestock. Uh, Pharaoh said, just leave everything behind, and I'll give you better stuff here, but they bring it anyhow, because uh, that's how we are. You know, you go to the store, look at the shelves, there's nothing there. Uh, if there's a threat that we might not have something, we go get everything, and, and the brothers are the same. They, they bring it with them anyhow, and, and, uh, and he said, now you confirm that you are shepherds, and you've been born shepherds. That's all you've ever done. And then he mentions in verse 34, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And you think, well, that seems like odd advice to tell them you're shepherds, knowing that we're an abomination to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and maybe a couple of the really skeptical brothers were thinking, all right, here's where the double cross comes. He's going to have us go to Pharaoh and say we're shepherds so that he strikes us down. Uh, you, you wonder, what, why would we say that we're shepherds if they hate shepherds? Um, well, the, the reason, first of all, that they don't like shepherds is shepherds were basically nomadic people, and, and this lasted for a number of years. It goes even into Christ's time where shepherds weren't respected at all. They, their testimony wasn't accepted in court. Uh, they were supposed to kind of stay away from people. They, they weren't really trusted or respected. And think of, when you think of the shepherds, think of really bad renters. All right, if those, those people, if, if you've ever uh, uh, been a landlord, had renters, or I, I remember uh, in college, uh, friends that would rent a place and, and give their security deposit, knowing they were never going to get that back because they were going to leave that place in such a shambles that there was no way they were getting their security deposit back. Uh, and, and that's kind of how the shepherds were viewed. They came into an area... They really didn't care that much about the area. They did what they wanted, took what they wanted, left it however they left it, and got out of town. And so they weren't really highly respected. But Joseph, he, he wants them to say they're shepherds for a few reasons. We're only going to mention a, a couple of them. One of them is that he wants them in the land of Goshen. The, the land is, is great there, and and Pharaoh will agree to let them be in Goshen because that's kind of on the northeast corner. It's not on Main Street, Egypt. They're kind of out there a little ways. And that'll be good because they're shepherds. So let's just keep them out there uh, a little ways. And, and also this idea that uh, God is protecting uh, his people and, he, and at this point uh, doesn't really want intermarriage with the Egyptians because he's eventually going to bring them out of Egypt. There, there's a few reasons there, but also he wants them to say they're shepherds to prove that they have no political aspirations. It's not like they're going to gang up and take Pharaoh's job from him. Uh, they're shepherds, that's all they really want to be. They're no threat to Pharaoh or anyone else. And, and I just 
also want you to notice that basically what Joseph is telling them is to be honest. Just be honest with who you are. Tell them you're shepherds. That's what you are. They're an abomination, but that's going to work to your advantage. So don't worry about it. Just tell them you're shepherds. So the brothers, uh, in chapter uh, 47, the first six verses, they go uh, before Pharaoh. And uh, Joseph uh, mentions to Pharaoh, look, they've got all their things in Goshen right now. He's planting the idea in Pharaoh's head. Uh, that, oh, let's just keep them there. Uh, They're in Goshen right now. That's where they are. And he brings five of his brothers that he thinks he can trust, apparently, and and, uh, brings them in and and tells, after Joseph says that they're shepherds, the brothers back him up. They say exactly what they're supposed to in verse 3. In verse 4, they do get a little chatty. They go off script here and and, uh, they ask for Goshen. They actually weren't supposed to do that. uh, and you, I can just imagine a horrified Joseph. Shut up, guys! You're saying too much. You know, just stay on script. But but they get a favorable response. It, it, it's fine. Uh, in fact, Pharaoh uh, even uh, offers a job of of supervising livestock in verse six, which would uh, make them uh, officers of the crown and actually would provide them with some legal protection that they wouldn't normally have just as shepherds out in in Goshen. So. Uh, so the response is, is better even than Joseph can imagine. And then Jacob comes before Pharaoh in verses 7 through 10. We see that, and it's, it's proper and, and, and cordial. Uh, if, if you don't uh, look too hard at the fact that it seems like Pharaoh's saying, man, you look old. How old are you? Uh, well, he's 130 years old. Um, and he says, few and evil are the days of my life, and you know, we look at 130 years and say, if I live that long, that's probably too long. Uh, but in comparison with his fathers, Abraham uh, lived 175 years. That's his grandfather. Isaac lived 180 years. That, that's his, his father. And, and yeah, he's had some hard days. Uh, he's, he's been cheated out of things, and, and he's cheated other people out of things. And he lost his favored wife, was separated from his favored son, and, and suffered great embarrassment and humiliation at the hands of his sons. And, and things had gone bad. There's a, a famine, but everyone's uh, dealing with that. But the thing to notice that we're going to come back to is that Jacob blesses Pharaoh twice. In coming into Pharaoh, And then in leaving Pharaoh, he blesses him twice. And we'll come back to that. But they do get settled in the land in verses 11 and 12. And there they are. Uh, The the small nation of Israel, if you want to call them a nation right now, it's a family. Strangers in a strange land on the outskirts of Egypt, Egypt where they will eventually become this great nation. And we read about this a lot in the New Testament as well. Uh, The writer of Hebrews uh, picks up on on Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In Hebrews 13, uh, he writes about these three guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he calls them, and I quote, strangers and exiles on the earth seeking a homeland, a heavenly one. And he continues, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
The writer of Hebrews can look back on this and, and say, yeah, we, we see what God was doing in this, making them strangers and exiles on the earth because this is all pointing to their heavenly home. And we can relate to Abraham and Isaac and, and especially Jacob as we look at this story because in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter, talking to fellow believers, writes this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles in this world. We're right with Jacob on this. We're sojourners. We're exiles. And this is why Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 14, I, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, and, and if I go to make a place for you, I am going to come again and get you and take you there so that you can be with me. And so with Jacob, we have to consider ourselves exiles on this earth. No matter where we are on this earth, we're still an exile. We're still a sojourner. But we see those promises and these things that God told Jacob along the way. And I just want to look at, at three of them. First thing is, is God telling Jacob in chapter 46, verse 4, I am with you. I am with you. This is exactly what Jesus would tell his disciples in giving the Great Commission. Go, make disciples. I'm with you to the ends of the earth. Wherever you go, I will be with you. In John chapter 14, the night Jesus was arrested, he told his disciples, I, I will go, but the, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, he dwells with you and he will be in you. God is with us wherever we go, even as exiles and sojourners in this world. God is with us. And also, uh, we see the world isn't necessarily going to like who we are. In 46, uh, 34, he says, tell them you're shepherds, but by the way, shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. But Jesus also, in that upper room discourse that gets written about in, in John, uh, John chapter 15, he tells his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. And then he continues to tell them, I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. He'll continue on and say, they hated me without a cause. And they will hate you. But be honest with who you are. You're a Christian in this world. Don't change that. Don't try to deceive anybody or act any different way. Just like Joseph was telling his brothers, you know what, they don't like who you are, but God can work with that. And God will work through that. And God is with you, and he is sovereign. And the next thing I want us to see is that God has prepared the exile. By settling them in the land of Goshen, as I mentioned, it's on the northeast end of Egypt. 
when it's time for the exile, which won't come for some 400 years, but that is where they can go straight to the promised land. Now, they're going to mess up and have to walk in that desert for a number of years, but when the exile comes, they won't have to go all the way through Egypt to get out of Egypt. They're already right there on the corner of it. God has prepared this exit for them, this exile, as he has prepared our exile in Christ. That we, when we go from this earth, have our advocate right there who has died for our sins. That we are perfect and righteous before God. And I do want to come back to this idea of Jacob blessing Pharaoh. I mentioned he did that twice. And this is odd because in Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews is actually writing about Abraham. So this is even before Jacob's time. And the writer of Hebrews writes this. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior or if I can put that just a little more straightforward, it is the superior who blesses the inferior. And here we have Jacob blessing Pharaoh. And we have to think, well, wait a minute, is this exile from this other land who's a shepherd? Is he actually superior to Pharaoh, who is the unquestioned leader of the mightiest nation on the face of the planet at the time? Is Jacob really superior to Pharaoh? On the surface, we would say no, not even close. But when we consider the God who is with Jacob, he is far superior. The God who is with Jacob is infinitely superior to anything Pharaoh could hope to be. And remember, it is that God who is with us, the Holy Spirit who is with us and in us, as Jesus said, is superior to anything and anyone on the planet and we have to remind ourselves that we actually have the most powerful message in the universe. The world doesn't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Paul writes about that. He says it's folly. When we speak of the gospel, it's folly to those who are perishing. He even says it stinks to them. It smells like death to those who are dying. It's folly. It stinks. But like Joseph tells his brothers, we're honest with it. We can't change the message. Why would we change the message? It's the most powerful message the world has ever heard. That we have this Savior who died on the cross forgiving us of, of our sins and we can be true with that and we can be honest with that because God is with us. He's already made preparations for our exodus. And he is superior to all and has given us this powerful message. And we are the ones in the know. We are the ones, if we have the gospel, who knows what everybody else needs to hear. And we can be the greatest blessing 
in this world. No matter our position in the earth, we have the God with us who is greater than all and given us his gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, your powerful word, the word that stands above all. We thank you that you are our God who is with us at all times, no matter where we may go, no matter who we encounter, you are with us and you are more powerful and your message uh, more pertinent than anything else in this world. We thank you that you have prepared that place for us and prepared our exodus that when we stand before your throne, Christ will be there guiding us into your heavenly kingdom, doing so having died for our sins, being raised again, overcoming the power of death, and living righteously, that that righteousness may be ours, and we may live with you forever. We thank you and we praise you through Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, if you will, turn to hymn 447. We'll stand and sing freely, freely.